Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Thank you, Jesus. I will, from the beginning, ask you to pray for me. Because if I've ever, if I've ever wanted to say something, I want, I want to say what's on my heart. Brother Fears and I probably, I don't know, a few weeks back, we were speaking to an individual. This individual was telling us in their own words that when they was young, they could go to God in prayer, and they had somewhat of a, I even hate to use the word religious, but for just illustration purposes, I'll just say a religious background. They could go to the Lord and pray, and their words, not mine, they could feel the Lord. And now, they felt like when they prayed, They couldn't feel the Lord like they did. And he had actually been told by someone in his family that it was him. You're the reason you can't feel God. So I just sat there and listened to him. And I let him speak. And, and when he was done, I just told him, I said, You know, sir. I'm not wanting to cross swords with your family. So don't take this as a personal attack against your family. But let me tell you, and I, I just here again, I almost hate to use the words what I think, but let me tell you what I think this Bible says. Life puts calluses on us as we go along. And this Bible says, that if we would repent, that God is faithful and just to forgive us. We are just flesh and blood. We do make mistakes. And if you repent, I assured him, and Brother Fears with me, and we both together told him that if you would repent, we told the same God that was just so eager to hear you and to respond to you, it's the same God that will listen to you right now. For don't you think for one moment that the God that would meet with you then will not meet with you now. For I promise you, it is not God. But I'm telling you, it is God standing there right now that's wanting to respond to you the same way he did then. Do not believe for an instant that God is saying, you know what? 
you did wrong, so therefore I'm putting you outside of the camp. That is not what this Bible says. This Bible says that if you would repent, and we assured him that we told him that you must repent. Everybody, that's everyone. No one is excluded. But when you sit on or get on your knees and repent and ask God for forgiveness, he would meet with you. So we told him, do not believe this. So when we come, we come to the house of God. Some people, they just come to the Lord's house and they think, what could God ever do for me? Look at what everything that I've done. I mean, we just cannot get in that frame of mind. And I was just thinking along those lines. And what I want to speak to you is, and I'll just title it as Divine Mercy. And since we're just human, we base everything on, on our perspective. And in a way, that's literally dangerous to do that. Because really and truly, there is no way that we can understand the mercy that God shows to us. I can only try to put a understanding on it in my mind. And there again, I'm only putting it in human terms. There's no way I can understand it the way God puts it as he shows us mercy. But I'm saying I have the Bible to go to. I have cases in the Bible that I can go to and read where God showed people mercy just like me that did not deserve it. And so when we come to God and we see God... We have divine mercy that is showed to us on a daily basis thousands of times that we're not even aware of. That we literally, not that we take for granted, but we just can't understand it. We're just in this human mind and we cannot understand the divine mercy that is showed to us every day. Jeremiah, I want to read if you, I'm going to jump around a little bit to start with. So if, if you don't, if you want to just write them down, if you want to, if not, just follow on the screen because Jeremiah 2 and 5, and I've got a point for starting for this. So just, if you would, just, I know it's dangerous to say this, but just try to follow my thought. <laughs> I wasn't looking for that much of a response. <laughs> The Lord says it like this in Jeremiah 2 and 5. Thus saith the Lord, What iniquity have your fathers found in me, that they are gone far from me, and have walked after vanity, and are become vain? Now, I'm going to jump over to 31. Same book, Jeremiah 5. I'm going to jump over to verse 31. And he says, O generation, see the word of the Lord. Have I, built a, have I been a wilderness unto Israel, a land of darkness? Wherefore say my people, we are lords. And we will, and we will come no more unto thee. Verse 32. Can a maid forget her ornaments or a bride her attire? Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. This is what God is telling. This is what God is telling them. Now, I'm going to jump over. Go a little bit more into your Bible to Micah 
It's the 33rd book, so just keep turning if you want to turn to it. Micah 6 and 3. From the very first time, well, I want to read one verse to start with. Micah 6 and 3. Here again, the Lord is asking the same question. He says, O my people, Micah 6 and 3, O my people, what have I done unto thee? Wherein have I wearied thee? And then God asked them, Testify against me. God is just saying, If I've been so bad, then tell me what I've done wrong. Where have I led you wrong? I have been a God, a Savior, a provider. I've done everything I could. If I've done wrong, then tell me where I went wrong. If I've wearied you, tell me. God's literally asking them a question that I believe he is literally demanding a response. So Micah wrote literally to warn the nation that there was a judgment coming. God was wanting to answer. He was telling them through the voice of Micah, there's coming a judgment. And he's telling them, he's specifying the sins that's fixing to provoke God's anger. But before it happened, God is wanting a response. And so the verse that I love, that ever, and oddly enough, this verse that I heard quoted wasn't even a church setting. Years and years and years ago, I heard this verse quoted. And it's one that it just gets on the lobes of your mind and it's never left. Micah 6 and 8. And this is how Micah basically would sum it up. He has showed thee, O man... Micah 6 and 8. He has showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. He basically puts it in a threefold definition. He says you've got to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. Micah is telling them, if you would do this, if you would just do this then everything would be okay so he's telling them this has to be the commitment so God through Jeremiah and others there's others I just stopped I just stopped at that just to make a point God was asking them if I've been so bad then all I want you to do is just tell me where I went wrong and then Micah comes and tells them the same thing that Jeremiah said and then Micah just sums it up we like to put it all in a nutshell Micah just put it all in a nutshell for him to do. Now, there's two passages that I could not get away from. And the first one I want to read. Um, Jump back with me to Exodus. The book of Exodus 34. What this is, I'm going to read here in Exodus 34, and then what I want to do, that's what I said, I'm going to jump around, I'm going to still jump around a little bit, then I'm going to stop. I'm going to read in Exodus 34, then I'm going to drop back to 20 and read, and then I'm going to come back to 34. But what this is, to just to let you know exactly where I'm at, this is the second time that Moses goes to the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments. So in Exodus 34... This is what's happening. He's, Moses is there on the mountain the second time. 
So in Exodus 34, verse 4, and he hewed the two tablets of stone like unto the first. And Moses rose up early in the morning and went unto Mount Sinai, as the Lord had commanded him. And he took in his hand the two tablets of stone. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed the Lord. The Lord God, merciful and gracious long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and the fourth generation. And verse 8, and Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. Now, I'm going to go back, just if you want, or just follow on the screen. What I'm doing now, I'm just going back. Like I said, that's the second time. What I want to do, that's, Moses goes back. I want to go back to the first time that Moses went to the mountain and then Moses proved that he's just flesh and blood like the rest when he tried to frisbee the Ten Commandments and realized that there wasn't plastic and they did break. So Moses got so mad the first time that he had to go back, and what I just read was the second time. But this is the first time, and this is what we would know as the Ten Commandments. So I'm going to start in verse 20, and I'm going to read 1 through 6. And what I want you to do... Don't just read it for reading's sake. What I want you to do is pay close attention to what it's actually saying. Chapter 20, verse 1. And God and God spake all of these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Verse 4. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Verse 5. Thou shalt not bow thyself, bow thyself down to them nor serve nor serve them, for the Lord thy God am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. Verse 6, And showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Now, I'm going to go back, and I told you the verse, the two passages. I want to go back to Exodus 34 and 7, and I want them to just leave it on the screen, Exodus 34 and 7. This is the one. that I just couldn't get away from. 
the Ten Commandments was just not God stroking his ego. Some people look at it like God gave us the Ten Commandments because they was just God just putting ten rules out of the ten he liked best. Well, me personally, I would never agree with that. I would say everything God done was for the benefit of man. It is not God just saying, here's ten rules that I particularly like. I would say God gave us Ten Commandments just solely for the benefit of humanity was the reason they, that he gave us Ten Commandments that he was given to us. And really, he said, number one, he took and he said, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Now, really and truly, I think this command God started from the very beginning. Israel was commanded from the very beginning not not to practice polytheism. There was one God in Israel. You settle this once and for all. Every nation that you go into is going to have gods, multiple. They're going to take and they're going to have these gods. In Israel, Jehovah has told them time and time and time again. It is repeated literally throughout the whole Old Testament. I and I alone am your God. I am a jealous God. I am your God. I am the one. I am the one. Israel was permitted was not permitted to worship or call on any other God of any other nation. That's why when God started the Ten Commandments, he said, I am the one that brought you out of Egypt, or a way I would look at it, speaking to the church, I am the one that brought you out of sin, out of the house of bondage. So therefore, he was telling them, when you pass through these nations, do not worship at their altars. That's why he said, And that's why we tell our children, do not give your sons and daughters to them because they are worshiping other gods. Do not do this. Settle this within yourself. There is only, only one God. And he repeatedly, time and time again, told them to settle this within yourself. They was to settle this. They was commanded to fear and to serve God. God and God alone. He says, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving the iniquity and the transgression and sin. And he says, that will by no means clear the guilty. So he took, he says, I have this. Literally, the Bible teaches, as we know it, monotheism. For Moses, when he gathered Israel, we would see him standing there. and, And then he just tells him, he said, hero Israel, the Lord our God, It's one Lord. Look at the way he phrased that. The Lord our God. Other words, he left nothing to the imagination. He told them the Lord our God is one Lord. So they was to take and look. Other words, he was just, there was was no guessing. There was no guessing. Um, This has not changed from the very beginning. Israel was told repeatedly over and over. I cannot emphasize that enough. There was no like, well, in times of hardship or times of trouble, is there someone else? God just seared this on their mind. If you are find yourself in situations when you're facing the enemy, 
God did this for a twofold purpose. One, for the benefit of man. And for the second one, other words, you don't have to wonder who to call. Other words, this issue is settled. You go to God. You go to Jehovah. You go to the one that's able to help. He is the one that's going to settle this. Israel was to settle this. God and God alone would settle this. And they was to settle this. For he told them, he says, literally, they was to do this. And God literally started out with this. Israel, don't put no other gods. And we look at that. Don't look at that like another God. For there's only one God. And don't look at that like other gods like Jehovah. Gods can mean a lot of different things. Anything that you would put in place of God. In other words, don't put nothing in place of God. For he says, don't have nothing that would put in front of me. Thou shalt have nothing in front of me is what I would say. So he told Israel, he says, I and I alone. And, and that's why I've said everything that God did for humanity was done from an eternal point of view. But us, we have to base everything on a temporal point of view. That's why we scratch our heads and say, we don't understand. And in truth, we're not going to understand it because we just live life in the temporal. And in truth, that's all we're going to understand. We're not going to understand why things happen to us and, and, and why situations unfold and fall on our lap that we have absolutely no control over. And why does this happen? It will literally drive you insane if you try to figure it out. We live in the temporal. But everything, we have to have enough faith to realize that what's happening to me, that I believe that God has my best interest at heart. And everything that God does for me is from an eternal point of view. And God will, will have that. And so he told them from the beginning there is only one God. He loves us. And we are in, we are in, hallelujah, a truth that still preaches that. And I am so thankful. God told us, he said, I am a jealous God. And I don't believe that that jealous is like what we would think that jealous would mean. For I believe that jealous goes back to a covenant relationship. Like, in other words, you could even liken it to a marriage relationship. God looked at Israel that he had made a covenant relationship. So just as you would be um, jealous, and I'll use the word jealous since the Bible used it about your wife, God has said, you know what? If you're a husband and a man walks by and just rams your wife on the shoulder, are you going to look at him and say, you know, that's okay. I meant to do that myself. God's going to say, you touch my wife, and you're going to pay the price. That's why God said, I'm a jealous God. These other nations, I might use you, but when it's done, pardon my reference here, but I'm going to spank your rear when it's over. Because God says, Israel, I have made a covenant with. So that's why I'm jealous. So that's what I think. That's my words. That's why I am jealous about Israel for God said I am a jealous God and God did use other nations on judgments against but he took you read the Bible 
He took care of them when it was over. But now, God said he would take and do this. The Bible uses the word hate. They make my words, them's the Bible words. The Bible says in, in chapter 20 that he says that he would go to the, it could go to the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. Now, I, I for one have read this verse and I have really wondered. I'm telling you, you know, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, upon the children's children unto the third and fourth generation. I have wondered about that verse. And I know God is merciful and kind and compassionate. So I know within myself, I just can't see God just, somebody going wrong and then God just saying, you know what? Looking at a child and say, just because that sorry father of yours did wrong, you know, I'm going to charge you to the fourth generation. And what I'm going to give you, now I have a pastor sitting right there, but what I'm going to, and I'm not throwing him under the bus, but what I'm going to give you is what I think that means. The Bible does say, we, we, I mean, I, I, that's Bible. We can't get away from it. We shouldn't get away from it. And God, when he started out, number one, when he said, thou shalt have no other gods before me, if we are fault, and I've said it, my own self, if we are fault on anything, we are fault on the oneness of God. And what I believe this verse is dealing with is idolatry. God told them, Israel, and I'll just put it in a nutshell, the way my eye sees this, I believe to the Israelite fathers, That God would look at them and say, you know what? I've been everything you needed. I've brought you out of the land of bondage. I've been everything you needed. When you have asked me, I have supplied your needs. And then you look at me like I'm not enough. You bow at other altars and you act as if Jehovah's not enough. When they bury your sorry carcass. The sin that you've let grow is going to mutate and go to the next one. And I believe that is what that's dealing with. I believe it is pure and simple idolatry. Because God said, first, you settle this. There's only one God. And don't you believe nothing else. And when Israel, when you look at other nations and you say, I want to be like them. I want to have other gods. I want to bow down at other altars. God says, you don't realize the monster that you've created. You do not realize what is happening. You're creating something that when you die, this is going to live on. It's not going to die when you die because it can go to the third and the fourth generation, this 
thing you have started. When you look at me, when I've supplied every one of your needs and I've told you time and time and just hundreds of times that I will meet every need that you have and you act as if I'm not enough. When they put you in the ground, it's not over. The little ones that looked in your eyes, that's watched you day after day disregard me and not trust me and not have enough faith in me to believe that I'm not the God that I said that I would be. You're going to pay the price through the eyes of the ones that's following you. So that's why I think that that is what this verse is dealing with. It's not dealing with a God that's just being so hateful that he's just pointing at people and saying, you know what, I'm making the children pay. No, this is about people that will not take God at his word. Of, of a God that says, you know what, I've done everything I could do. I've literally asked you before, literally. If you've got an offense against me, then tell me. Let's go to the table and talk about it. Because I've been a God that's done everything I could have done. I've told you I've been a, a cloud by day and a fire by night. I've went with you. The great I am literally means I am present. I have been there with you. I have told you when you go through the waters, I'll be with you. When you go through the fire, I'll be with you. When they put you in the lion's den, I'll shut the lion's mouth. When they put you in the pit, I will bring you out. I have done everything I know to do. And then you act as if that I'm not enough. It's not going to die with you. It is not going to die with you. And I believe if anyone knew this, God knew this. So he's telling them, you can't do this. Because if you do, it's going to go to the third and fourth generation. Now, that's my version of that. If you, that's what I believe. That's me. You don't have to take that. That's what I believe. That's what I literally believe that a theory. I'll just call it a theory. But that's what I propose that this is meaning now turn that around but he said I will show mercy unto thousands you're looking at one to whom mercy was showed I don't know it's been I don't know how many years ago. It was on a Wednesday night. I was standing right here. And God bless brother and sister Corin. It started coming. We'd had multiple families. Start coming and Lord just impressed me to say some things but he told me to just say two words to start with and I just got up and I said if you've started coming to this church I said look at me and I just said welcome home welcome home now Now I'm going to give you the other side of that story. 
I don't know why I've waited 31 years. Parents is here. We went to a church of God. And I've always said, you know, don't never discount children when they're in church. And what they feel and touch and because the same God that I feel now, I felt then. And we was uh we'd got up and age and joy and I had married and the pastor that I knew I was so fortunate to only know one pastor the time that I went to the church of God and J.L. Tomlinson I really loved him even just as a child I mean I just remember him preaching and just the passion he preached with and I was able to be a pallbearer at his funeral and I just considered that an honor. And um, he had left and I'd basically just, or I'd had, I'd just quit going to church and had a rough time myself. And, and then my parents had been invited. They had heard about Hatchpin and oddly enough, through a strange way, but they had been invited to come here and Daniel Newburn had invited my father. And so they had started coming, and then Joy had uh, actually started coming before I did. So then she started in on me to go. So I told her, I said, um, you know, I told my Joy, I said, you know, that's a long ways over there. And you know what? It's still a long ways over here. So she wanted me to come, and like I say, I'm just, I had the one man, I was really comfortable with him, and she wanted me to come to a church that I didn't know a soul. Well, I knew the trails, I was, knew them, and there's a few more people here I knew, but I told Joy, I says, you know, you want me to go to a strange church? I said, you know, I don't jail with people that easy. So I come and come in and just look in the eyes of strangers, not know nobody very to speak of. And don't take what I'm fixing to say the wrong way. But hear me out. But it wasn't the people that made me feel at home. But I'm telling you, there's the Spirit of God started settling me. 
And I'm telling you, the spirit in the people started settling me. And in a place that I didn't know a soul, every time I would come, I'd just feel a, a little bit more at peace, a little bit more at home. And I just, I just felt at home. And I'm telling you, if you know me, that means everything. That means everything. To just come in a place and to just be put at ease. Even though I'm still looking, so to speak, into the eyes of strangers, I feel comfortable. God just started doing a work. And brother and sister Newburn were just so kind. And... And then I got a Bible for myself, which I had a Bible. But I didn't let the preacher do all the preaching for me. I started reading the Bible for myself. And when I'd go home, the God had started giving me peace. I wanted to know more. So what I'm saying Is you visitors at the time, or not visitors, but you people that I said welcome home to, you don't know what that meant. I'm telling you, when I looked you in the eyes and I said welcome home, it was more than just welcome home. It was come in here and get settled. And I'm telling you, and I'm telling you, as I said then, just cast your eyes over the horizon because the dust hadn't settled yet. I promise you. Because the Lord is not through yet. Because when you read the Bible in context to this verse, I believe that God is a lot more interested in showing his mercy than his wrath. Or his judgment, I would say. I told you there was two verses that I was drawn to. This was one that I just could not get away. Now I want to take you to the second one. Turn with me to Matthew. The first verse. Matthew 1. I know we read this, Matthew, the first chapter. I'm going to read 18 through 25. I know we read this a lot at Christmas. But don't, don't get in the Christmas spirit on me because I'm not talking about Christmas. St. Matthew, the first chapter, verse 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise... When his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. And while he thought on these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, 
Fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord, spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from the sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not until she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, Emmanuel, God with us. This prediction was made 700 years, 700 years before it actually came to pass. We believe the Bible just as it's written, truly that there was only one God. As God told Israel time and time again, there's one God. And I believe this is the account of God literally loving us enough to make yourself a body. And this is the account of that. To be born human, he had to be born of a woman. To be born sinless, he had to be born of the Spirit. So he took and done this. But the Bible tells this. He says, he told her in two places. He says, that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Now, the body of Jesus Christ was made through the process of flesh. What I find so remarkable about this passage of Scripture and what I find so much mercy in is this. I'll just put it in a nutshell. This is the way that I see this. There is no contradiction on the Godhead with us. There's one God. God made himself a body. God was in Christ. We know that body is Jesus Christ. That physical body died and rose again, left. God sent his spirit back in the form of the Holy Ghost. Okay. The Bible plainly says, I just read it. It said it two times. That which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Now, I don't sit around and wonder who was God's, who was Jesus' father. Was it the Holy Ghost or was it God? There's no contradiction with us. So that's, that's, that's not an issue. But what I believe God did for us in his mercy was this. There's a passage in the Bible that says when Jesus stood up and he says, Out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. And then the Bible goes on to explain that and says, But he spake this of the Spirit. And then the Bible goes on to explain and says, 
but this was of the Holy Ghost. But the Holy Ghost has not yet been given. We know the Holy Ghost was not poured out into the book of Acts. Now, if you know God at all, you know God does everything on a time limit. So many times we read in the Bible says, and in the fullness of time, and it came to pass. In other words, God does things, we would say in order, but that's an understatement. When God puts a time limit on something, it stays. Nothing alters it. I mean, it stays. God set the book of Acts as the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. But what I just love with every fiber in me is this. I know there's no time when it comes to God. And I don't know how, I don't know how to word this other than this. But in, in human terms is the way I have to look at it. Jesus knew to make himself a body. He was going to use the Holy Ghost. The, and I look at the Holy Ghost as the revelation of God. So he was going to take and give us the Holy Ghost. So in his mercy... I would say God went ahead in time because the Holy Ghost, as we would know it, hadn't been poured out. And the same Holy Ghost that he chose to fill us with, God said, that is what I'm going to use to make this body with. Now that is mercy. Because he took and he says, you know what I'm going to do? The revelation that I'm going to give to my people that is what I am going to use to make the flesh with. So it's not, it's not of me looking as when, how much of an understatement would it be when life really nails me and knocks me down and I just say, you know what, God, I can't make it. And God would say, you know what? The same spirit that I conceived my flesh with, I have put in you. Right. So God would say, if you got something against me, let's go to the table and talk about it. Because the same spirit that I fused my flesh with, I've put in you. So we, we've went off the track somewhere. So God is saying through this, in other words, I will give you this revelation. And that is what really, and in truth, really, the Holy Ghost is simply put, the Bible the New Testament is all about the restoration of man, of bringing man back to the original. The Holy Ghost is not the complete picture. The Holy Ghost is just the starting point. That is why, as Brother Gibson spoke of the necessity of the Holy Ghost, it is literally the beginning. It is where God gives us, and it is the revelation of God, the revelation, as we would say, of Jesus Christ. So that is what I find. That is so much mercy that God just says, you know what? To them, the Holy Ghost hadn't been given. But the same Holy Ghost, the same revelation that I let them have, that is what I'm going to use to conceive my body with. So God has made us an overcomer. He's going to pour out his spirit, and that's what he's done. And I'll just, we won't read this, but I'll just... Um, well, we'll read it. I'll, I'll, I'll just be real quick with it. John ten twenty nine. We quote this all the time. Where 
and says, My Father, which gave them to me, is greater than them all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. We quote that all the time. But the previous verse of that, Jesus says, Nobody has plucked them out of my hand. And, you know, Jesus did this all the time. He gave them a natural to make a spiritual. And I literally believe the natural is that is where we could look as if somebody was physically holding hands, you would say, I understand that. If I was physically, Jesus is standing there in the flesh, and if I'm physically holding his hand, then nobody could pull me away. But when he says no man can pluck them out of my father's hand, he makes a spiritual application. So I believe that what we could say out of that or what we could take that to relate to us is this. No man can pluck them out of the spirit. God gave us the Holy Ghost. And when he's talking about the Father, what is the Father? The Father is a spirit. So when you got the Holy Ghost and God said, I've given you this revelation and you have this revelation, no man can pluck you out of the spirit. Now, where I'm on in is a book I begin in, in Jeremiah. The beginning of Jeremiah, verse uh, chapter 2. He starts off like this. It starts off sad. Chapter 2, verse 8, he says, The priest said not, Where is the Lord? And they that handled the law knew me not. The pastors also transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal and walked after the things that do not profit. But listen to verse 9. It didn't say the people did it. That's God's man it's talking about in verse 8. Wherefore, yet will I plead with you, saith the Lord, and with your children's children, will I plead. God has said, let those in authority do like they want to. I don't care if they mishandle my word. If you would give yourself to me, I will plead with you, and I will plead with your children's children. Will I plead? Because I'm telling you, just like our pastor said, we can't stop looking this, because this is who we are. Hallelujah. God bless you. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806. Or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.